Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie, and tonight we're excited to bring you part two of our two-part series on hospitality. A lot of Christian women have questions about hospitality, like, what does hospitality mean? Or what does the Bible say about it? Am I doing it right? In part one, we talked about the difference between um, hospitality and entertaining. It's not the same thing, you know. We talked about the, the biblical commands about hospitality and some biblical examples of hospitality that we can follow. And we're going to refer back to some of those things in this episode. So if you haven't listened to part one, we would really encourage you to listen to it first and then come back and listen to part two. So tonight we're going to address the issues of whether we're to show hospitality to Christians or to those outside the church, times when we're not to show hospitality, and some practical practices of hospitality. Well, let's first take on the issue of the object of our hospitality. Do we show hospitality to the brothers or to others, to the saved or to the lost? And the answer to that question is yes, both. Now, uh, some Christians would argue that we only extend hospitality toward the lost and that hospitality among Christians is more properly termed fellowship. But we're not really on board with that idea for a couple of reasons. First of all, hospitality and fellowship carry two different connotations. Hospitality carries with it the idea that there is a host or a hostess, someone extending herself and her resources with the goal of making someone feel welcome and at home. And there's also a guest or a recipient of the hostess extending herself, someone who accepts the hospitality that's offered. The way that we normally use the term fellowship, well, it doesn't require that same idea of host and guest. It puts two Christians on the equal footing of neither of them being the host or the guest. For example, fellowshipping with a group of Christian friends at a restaurant after church or at a church picnic or something like that. Now, the second reason we should push back against the idea that we only extend hospitality to the lost is, well, that's not the way it's presented in Scripture. We saw that in uh, part one of this series, which we'll, of course, have that linked up in our show notes tonight. Uh, So because of the way we typically use the words hospitality and fellowship, and because of the way the concept of hospitality is presented in Scripture, we're saying, yes, we extend hospitality to the brothers and to others. Yeah, that's right. And when I was getting our scripts ready for these episodes several weeks ago, I put the question of hospitality to my Twitter followers, and one of them responded with a very interesting question. He said, given the choice, you can only pick one, who gets the priority for your hospitality, your brother in Christ or an unsaved family member or the unsaved in general? Well, Hmm. praise God, that's virtually always going to be a false dichotomy because we're rarely, if ever, presented with a situation in which we have to choose one over the other. But the general biblical pattern is to care for our brothers first and others second. You know, we see this first and foremost in the one another's that we find in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, and so on. Those are all to be practiced first and primarily among the church body. 
There are passages about showing hospitality to strangers, but the Bible's posture seems to assume that we're already extending hospitality to our church family when we extend it to strangers. Hospitality to strangers is an outflow of the hospitality we extend to our own local church body. I kind of think about it like, you know, the oxygen mask instructions when you when you get on an airplane. Think about yeah. what the stewardess or whatever they're called, flight attendant. Think about yes. what the flight attendant tells you, you know, <laughs> if the oxygen masks drop and you're traveling with someone who needs assistance, first put on your own mask and then before, you know, do that before assisting others. Why? Well, because you can't help others if you're dead or passed out. So this is the same principle. We show hospitality to the brothers to strengthen them to show hospitality to others. Yes, I agree. So let's take a look at a few of the passages that inform us on this issue. We're going to start with the ones about showing hospitality to brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in part one of this series, we went over to Romans twelve thirteen and 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 10, which clearly deal with hospitality to brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let's go to Galatians six ten, and we're going to hit these passages pretty quickly. So if you're following along with your Bible, you might want to have your finger poised over the pause button. That's how fast we might go here. So let's start with Galatians six ten. It says, so then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we're to give our brothers and sisters in Christ, or the family of believers, as one translation puts it, priority when it comes to doing good to others. And then let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through and 9. Above all, it says, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So think about who Peter's original audience is here. He's talking to the church. First Peter is a letter addressed to the church. Yeah, that's right. And Amy, I love how he says, show hospitality without grumbling there. You yes. know, it's it's like the Holy Spirit knows us or something. <laughs> well, another passage that talks about extending hospitality to, to the brothers is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole passage. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to encourage you to go back and study that later on your own. But this is the passage about the final judgment where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, the saved from the unsaved. You know, he puts the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And it's the passage where Jesus says of the sheep in verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. See that hospitality right there? And then so on and so forth. And you goats, you didn't do all those things. So <laughs> that's just a little <laughs> summary there. And then first in verse 37, he says, Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we do all that stuff? And in verse 40, it says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We are Jesus brothers, Christians, the church. And also, you know, just a little quick note for when you go back and study this passage. Remember in part one, we talked about descriptive and prescriptive passages. This is a descriptive passage. Jesus is describing what will happen at the final judgment 
And he's describing characteristics and good works of people who are already saved. This is not a prescriptive list of good works for you to do in order to get saved. You couldn't do enough good works in a million lifetimes to earn your salvation. By grace are you saved through faith and not as a result of works, okay? Make sure when you go back and study that passage that you're reading that passage right. Yes. Another great descriptive passage where God shows us an example of hospitality to our brothers and sisters in Christ is uh, over in First Kings. I'm sorry, Second Kings. Um, this is chapter four, uh, verses eight through 10. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So the Shunammite woman welcomed in the man of God, a brother, and showed him hospitality. And if you read the rest of that story, you're going to find out that Elisha shows hospitality to this lady in return by being a good guest and also by providing for one of her needs. And that is such a fantastic yeah. story. We would really encourage all of our listeners to go back and just read all of Second Kings 4. The whole story is just Amazing. Mm -hmm. And you can learn something about hospitality to boot. And then there's also there's Acts 2, 44 through 46. And this is right after Pentecost. So this is sort of the newborn stage of the church here. It says, and all who believed, okay, brothers, Christians, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. That's all this new family of believers distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, there's your hospitality, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So, brothers. Yes. And uh, just as a side note, although God requires all Christians, men and women, to show hospitality, this seems to be something that women can be particularly gifted in and excel at simply because of the way that God has uniquely wired us and our our nature as women. Although I will say that my husband is pretty good at it, too. (laughs) Mine is, too. (laughs) Yeah. So if you walk through the Bible, uh, looking at various instances of hospitality, and there are many, many, many more passages that we just don't have time to get to tonight, um, you're going to find a lot of the good examples of hospitality do involve women. God just seems to have created us with that special touch. But you'll also find that the majority of those examples and commands are about showing hospitality to the people of God, those we know best and are closest to. But we are also to show kindness and hospitality to strangers, people we don't know whether or not they are Christians. Yeah, that's right. So let's look at a couple of passages that touch on showing hospitality to others or strangers. And the first one we're going to take a look at is Hebrews 13, 1 through 2. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In our last episode, we talked about someone who showed hospitality to strangers and thereby entertained angels unawares. That was, that was Lot in Genesis 19. The stranger you show hospitality to could be a 
an actual angel, or he could turn out to be a brother. And if he's not, then God has given you this opportunity of hospitality to share the gospel with him, and maybe he'll become a brother. Yes. Uh, Let's go over to Leviticus 19.34. It says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's a really special and beautiful reason that we show hospitality to strangers, especially those we know are unsaved. We have said that hospitality is welcoming others because Christ has welcomed us. So showing hospitality to the unsaved is a picture of the gospel. We were strangers, sinners, far off from God. We hated him, the Bible says, and Christ welcomed us. He washed us clean from our sin in his own blood. He clothed us with his own robes of righteousness and adopted us into his family. And that's what we're portraying when we show hospitality to the lost. Oh, that's so true, Amy. And it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel welcoming that stranger who's far off, just like we were far off from Christ. Mm-hmm. We'll listen to this out of Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. And I'm going to excerpt this just a little bit. Um, so starting in Ephesians 2, 11, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You might be entertaining angels unaware, but you might also be painting that beautiful picture of the gospel to a stranger and an alien, someone who's who's far off from God and needs to be mm. brought near. So we show hospitality to our brothers and to others. Now, all of that being said, Amy, are there times when we shouldn't extend hospitality? Uh, yes, there are actually times when we should not extend hospitality to someone. When extending hospitality would enable someone to sin or would advance the cause of sin. First, we are not to extend hospitality to false teachers or create a hospitable environment in our homes or churches for false doctrine. Listen to what Second John verses 9 through 11 says. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Wow. So think back again to Lot inviting the traveling strangers into his home. This was still the practice during the days of the early church, especially as it pertained to traveling teachers and preachers. So John is saying, hey, find out whether or not these guys are doctrinally sound before you provide their room and board and give them your seal of approval by having them stay with you. 
and that still applies to us today. Don't give false teachers any room into your home. Don't welcome them in any way. Don't have a friendly relationship with them at all. And also, don't support them financially or in any other way, such as don't go to their churches, their so-called churches, we should say. Don't watch them on TV and certainly don't send them any money. Don't buy their books or download their music. Do not go to their conferences or simulcasts. Don't follow them or share their stuff on social media. And that's not only extending an electronic form of greeting to them, it's also indirectly supporting them financially because the bigger the platform they have, the higher the speaking fees and publishing deals that they can negotiate for, um, something that you may want to consider. So when you show hospitality to a false teacher, even indirectly, you are a, really a participant in his wickedness. Yeah, and that's a really, really serious thing that we should, we should, it's sobering. We should be thinking about yeah. that. Well, another passage that teaches us not to extend hospitality to false teachers is Romans 16, 17 through 18. And it says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So watch out for false teachers and avoid them. That's that's pretty much the opposite of welcoming welcoming them and showing them hospitality. Why? Aren't we as Christian women supposed to be nice to everybody? Well, no. Mm -mm. False teachers may teach you that, but the Bible does not. Ladies, you will do yourself a big favor if you will get over this notion that being a Christian means being nice to everybody no matter what. Okay? So anyway, getting back to this passage, not on a rabbit trail there. <laughs> Why does the Bible tell us to watch out for and avoid false teachers? Verse 18. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. These people are deceivers. They pretend to be Christians, yet they keep people out of the kingdom with their false teaching. And you don't want to help them deceive people. You're out to share the gospel and get people into the kingdom. Now, let me quickly add before somebody misunderstands. This doesn't mean you can't invite that Mormon or that Jehovah's Witness who knocks on your door into your home for a cup of coffee so that you can share the truth of the gospel with her or him. That's mm -hmm. the right kind of hospitality. These passages that we just read are talking about supporting and welcoming false teachers without biblically correcting them, giving them and everyone else the impression that you endorse them and their false teaching. Yeah, great point. Another occasion when we should not extend hospitality is when doing so would foster sin or provide a place for sin to be committed. Now, 1 Corinthians 5 is a great example of withdrawing hospitality from a professing Christian who is living in sin. This is that passage that starts off with Paul rebuking the church for allowing the man who's sleeping with his stepmother to remain in the fellowship. They were not following the church discipline plan that Jesus laid out in Matthew 18. And First uh, Corinthians uh, 5 says, let him who has done this be removed from among you, Paul says. In, in other words, stop welcoming him into the fellowship of believers. He's never going to repent that way. 
And uh, in verses 11 through 13, he says, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So he's saying we are not to extend hospitality to people who profess to be believers, yet live in willful, unrepentant sin. Yeah, that's right. And we're also not to extend hospitality to people who will use that hospitality for the purpose of committing sin. For example, your unsaved adult child who's shacking up with someone of the same or opposite sex wants to come home for Christmas and stay in your guest bedroom with the shack up. Well, the answer is no. It looks to them and everybody else who knows about it like you approve of their sin because you're providing a place for it to happen. Or let's say you've got a nice little house on the lake that you're generous with and you often let friends stay there. Do you let your serial adulterer neighbor stay there when you know he's probably going to take his mistress with him? No, you do not. Do you let your drug dealing nephew stay there knowing he's probably going to have customers meet him there? No, you do not. First Corinthians 10 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Does providing someone with a place or environment that's conducive to their sin glorify God? No, it does not. Whatever you do, it says, and that includes the stewardship of your home and your hospitality, do it all to the glory of God. Yes. And finally, as we start to finish up here, let's take a a look at a few uh, practical practices of hospitality. Think back to some of the examples of hospitality we've looked at in these two episodes, Lot and uh, the Shunammite woman, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Yet we want to make people feel honored and treasured. We want them to feel comfortable and feel like they're part of the family. We want them to know we're there to serve them. If we're inviting them into our home, we want our home to reflect those things as well. So here are some practical tips, ladies, that we can do that. First, be mindful of your countenance, your facial expressions, even that resting face you have. Mine is a frown (laughs) naturally, so I have to stretch that out a little bit. Uh, Your body language, your demeanor, the way you regard people, the way you approach people, your moods, your attitudes, you know, those those little thoughts you're having on the inside grumbling that comes out (laughs) on your face. The Bible calls this your countenance. So you're going to want to smile and uh, be conscious of your facial expressions and practice having a pleasant expression on your face when you interact with people. Have you ever known someone who just perpetually has a sour or angry look on her face? Well, be the opposite of her. Let the joy of the Lord shine through your countenance. You might want to pray before uh, the hospitality happens, before people come over. Spend some time looking into the mirror and smiling too. See what that looks like. Uh, It really does make you look younger, makes you look prettier, and it makes you look friendlier and more approachable. And that's part of hospitality too. 
Um, you're going to want to look people in the eye. You know, we teach our children to do that, right? It shows that you're interested in them and paying attention to them. And it should go without saying that it also means that you put your phone down. And uh, another important thing that you may not realize is part of your countenance is listening. I mean, really listening. Listen to people when they're talking to you. Don't be worrying about what you're going to say next. Uh, really hear them. Be interested. Ask questions. You would be amazed at how many people don't feel like anyone ever pays attention to them and they just want somebody to listen to them. Yeah, that is so important. And look, this next one goes hand in hand with listening. This is one of my husband's biggest pet peeves. Don't interrupt. And so there are four points I want to make here about not interrupting. First of all, don't interrupt someone who's talking to you. Don't interrupt other people who are talking to each other. Don't let a third party interrupt when you're talking to someone. And don't be the kind of talker who makes the person you're talking to interrupt you in order to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> okay, let's expound on those just a little bit. <laughs> First, don't interrupt someone who's talking to you. That's one way to serve someone and make her feel honest honored and valued and listened to, like Amy was just saying. Second, unless it's an emergency, don't interrupt other people who are talking to each other. I mean, it's one thing to sort of, after church, just like walk up to a couple of people who are already talking and, and sort of merge into the conversation with them. It's another thing to walk up, interrupt them, and take one of them away or shift her attention from the person that she was talking to uh, and shift it to your, to yourself, you know. So don't do that. That's the opposite of hospitality and, and making people feel comfortable and honored and valued. That's saying, I'm more important than you are. And what I want to talk about is more important than what you're mm -hmm. talking about. Third, if you're having a conversation with someone and a third party tries to interrupt like that, just don't let it happen. Just kindly say, you know, hi, Hildegard. It's nice to see you. Could you give us just a minute? I'll, I'll be right with you. And then mm -hmm. turn your attention back to the person that you were talking to. And finally, don't be a conversation monopolizer who forces the other person to interrupt. I'm not talking about someone who's chatty. I'm talking about someone who doesn't know the difference between a conversation and a soliloquy. Okay. They just go on and on and on and on and on without taking a breath. And you literally <laughs> have to interrupt to say anything or even to tell them, look, I got to go. Okay. <laughs> that's not a conversation. That's a hostage situation. All right. And again, that's the opposite of hospitality because you're saying, I'm more important than you are. I'm the only one with anything worthwhile to say. Yes, good tips there. And we also want to make sure that uh, we want to make other people feel included. Um, you're going to be attending or maybe you'll be hosting events where a large percentage of the guests know each other well, and uh, maybe there's a few guests who don't. For example, wedding and baby showers. You know, 95% of your guests are from maybe the honorees church. 5% are her family members who are in from out of town, and they don't know another soul there. So your job is to reach out and make people feel included and at ease. You know, introduce people around. And you don't have to be the only one doing this. Um, introduce your, you know, grab some friends and list some of your friends to um, help you make some people feel welcomed. 
And then you're going to want, of course, use good manners and be courteous. Say please and thank you, and you're welcome, and excuse me. Um, one of my pet peeves is, is lateness. Be punctual. Return phone calls and texts and emails. Do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Offer to assist people who need assistance, and don't be rude. Um, you're also going to want to show appreciation. When someone does something nice for you, especially if you've asked her to do you a favor, Show your appreciation. Depending on the degree of the favor, a small thank you gift or a card might be in order too. And then you're also going to want to be a good guest. Be appreciative and thank your host. Ask if there's anything you can bring or help out with. Respect the rules of the house. Clean up behind yourself. Offer to help with meals and clean up. You know, that sort of thing. And of course, uh, don't overstay your welcome. Yes. And speaking of guests, we need to be sure that we welcome visitors at church. If there's Mm -hmm. anywhere a stranger ought to feel welcome, it's at church. Say hello, show interest, answer any questions they might have, offer to show them around and help them find the restrooms and the nursery and whatever it is they need to find. Introduce them to other people. And I know what some of you are going to say. You're going to say, well, I'm an introvert. It's hard for me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Introverts, I speak as one of your people, and so does Amy. You know, if I followed my natural bent, I would be a hermit. It's it's not that I don't like being with all you wonderful people. It's just that it's easier and more natural for me to put on my jammies and hole up in my bedroom with the door shut. (laughs) Go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, yep, that's, you're speaking my love language now, Michelle. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking about going and doing that in about 10 minutes here. Um, But think about it. Is there any passage in the Bible that says that those of us who are introverts are excused from extending biblical hospitality as we've explained it to you in these two episodes? No. So don't Mm -hmm. use introversion as an excuse for disobeying scripture. Sometimes you've just got to pray, bite the bullet, and make yourself be open and welcoming to others. Yes. Biblical hospitality is welcoming others because Christ has welcomed us. It is loving others because he first loved us. It is inviting others to feel like part of the family because we have been adopted into God's family. And that is not just for special occasions or having company over or anything like that, but it is for every single day. Very well said, Michelle. That is a a great place to pause and uh, wrap up this series on hospitality. But we want to extend a warm welcome and show hospitality and thank you to our new patron, Rhonda, over at Patreon. And as always, we want to welcome you into our home on the World Wide Web at awordfitlyspoken.life, where you can support us if you like to uh, via PayPal or Patreon like Rhonda did. And there are lots of other resources that we have there on our website to explore while you're there. And we'd also like to thank a listener from the United States who left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and uh, had this to say. So we want to thank this person. Uh, The review says, informative, another must listen, 
Reading the Bible daily helps me to love, trust, and obey our Holy Father. Read the Bible, folks. You'll know that Amy and Michelle are backing up what they say about these false preachers. The Pew from uh, February 8th is very informative. It's so sad to see so-called Christians picking and choosing from God's Word to fit their narrative. I'm appreciative that Amy and Michelle are using their biblical knowledge to help us discern God's truth. That is such a sweet thing to say, and, and we just really appreciate your uh, very kind words of uh, of encouragement to us. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you to Rhonda as well. Yes, yes. yes. And until next time, welcome others as Christ has welcomed you and walk worthy.